You're listening to the Comic Book Informer Podcast with Vince and Raj, a podcast for everyone from comic nerds to comic noobs. You know who you are. Now here's your host, Vince. Hello, everybody, and welcome to issue 178 of Comic Book Informer Podcast, coming to you on July 29th. This is Vince, and how you doing this week, Raj? It's so freaking good, it's unbelievable. Beyond surviving. I'm doing just... <laughs> if I was any better, I'd be passed out in a strip club. I honestly don't know how to respond to that. I'll have something better next week. <laughs> but that's okay because I'm very happy this week as well. Uh, last weekend we had Comic-Con and with all the hype going in surrounding a lot of the movie projects, you know, Batman, Superman, Avengers, what have you, the biggest buzz coming out of the convention was the new Mad Max. And you know what? I didn't even watch the trailer for it or watch any news on it myself. So I have no idea what the big news is on it. It just... It looks exactly what a Mad Max movie in 2014 should like, right. should look like, because it's the original creators coming back to do a story they always wanted to do. Big, loud action. It just looks fantastic. Who's playing the lead? Tom Hardy. Okay. Hmm. And I've heard that Mel Gibson will have a cameo in it. You're, oh, no, see, that would ruin it. <laughs> Don't, he doesn't have to talk. Just, you know, have him drive by. <laughs> yeah, let's just throw in the bigot. <laughs> It'll be all right. <laughs> we'll just give him a small role. He doesn't have to talk. Just look mean at the black people who are, you know, are on the on set, or the Jewish people, or whoever he's out for that week. Maybe he will drive off a cliff oh, in a God. fiery ball, and everybody will be okay. Sorry, it's just I actually people were making a big deal about it, and then I don't know who, but somebody. Oh, it was um, Joel McHale, I think, um, posted a picture of of Gibson coming out of a gym after working out. And I was thinking, do people still care about him? Did he not prove he's enough of an asshole that we can move on? Apparently not. Apparently not. Yeah. All right. Well, into other actual comic related news, we're going to start off as usual with our Eisner award winners for this year. We're going to start off with our best single issue. Honestly, this wasn't even a competition. It had to go to Hawkeye, right? Uh, actually, I'm pulling it up right now. I remember looking at it. Well, see, actually, you know what I was thinking when I was looking at this initially is that um, I didn't agree with all the nominations because mm-hmm. I mean, well, we never do. Re- no, this is true, but I mean, I we'd read other um, single issues that I certainly would have liked to have seen at least nominated, if not win, because as as awesome as that was. Again, there's other ones that I would put higher up on a pedestal. But the Eisners really, and, and I mean, yes, Hawkeye is a fantastic series, but they really like Hawkeye, same as they really <laughs> like Saga. And I think that they block out other um, comics that are just as good, if not better in some cases. It's kind of the general thing with any award show, be yeah. it Oscars, Emmys, what have you. Once you're in there, it's kind of hard to not be nominated year after year. Yeah. And it's, it's just the way it works. But yeah, I, I'm perfectly okay with Pizza Dog Issue winning Best Single Issue because that was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Best Continuing Series, as you said, went to Saga uh, over East of West, Hawkeye, Nowhere Men, and Sex Criminals. I'm still loving Saga, so I'm not going to complain about that one. I'm 
I still enjoy it, but again, I certainly wouldn't peg it as the best mm-hmm. continuing out of everything that's out right now. Best limited series went to The Wake by Scott Snyder, uh, beat out The Black Beetle, Colder, Trillium, and sadly, 47 Ronin, but The Wake is really freaking good, too. I preferred 47 Ronin. Well, of course we did, because we're us. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, again, it shows that this is, it, it's based on how the people who are voting feel about them all. It's not objectively looking at what necessarily is best, because you can't. It's an art form, so mm-hmm. that's, but I disagree. 47 Ronin should have won. As an aside, did you hear about the uh, Usagi Yojimbo tribute comic that's coming out? I Yeah, a little bit, but I didn't read into it entirely. Yeah, because Stan Sakai's wife is very sick and they're struggling with uh, medical bills. So Dark Horse is publishing an Usagi Yojimbo special and they like they had to beat people off with a stick because so many people wanted to jump into it. There are, I think, 250 writers and artists contributing to that. And all proceeds are going to uh, Stan Sakai's wife's medical funds. It's moments like that that restores your faith from all the idiots that we mention throughout the year. (laughs) This is like, you know, there's still some good in this industry that can do good things. Absolutely. Continuing on, our best new series went to Sex Criminals. It won over High Crimes, Lazarus, Watson and Holmes, and sadly Rat Queens, but... As much as I love Rat Queens, I can't disagree that Sex Criminals actually is a really good comic book. But I don't Better think than I ever imagined it could possibly be. And I, I think it's very good. But once again, best new series out of everything we've seen? I, I don't think so, no. Personally, okay. I don't. That, and again, it's, it's good. I'm sure Rat Queens got plenty of votes. And, and the thing is, is as much as I love Rat Queens, I wouldn't give that the best new series either in terms of best, you know, funniest new series or, or, you know, fun to read is not always best new series. That's, Mm -hmm. that's the thing. And I, I wouldn't give it to Rat Queens either, but I certainly wouldn't give it to sex criminals, which again is not speaking ill of it. It's damn good. I just, I don't think it's the best new one. Mm -hmm. Best writer went to Brian K. Vaughn for saga. He won over Kelly Sue, Matt Fraction, Jonathan Hickman and Eric Stephenson. And, I love Saga, but come on, you. The, I don't. I I can't even agree with that one. <laughs> Again, especially, especially since that's the only thing he's writing. A lot of these other people are turning out fantastic work in multiple comics across multiple genres. Right now, they are. Last few years, it's all about Saga. How much they, for everything. I mean, from the art, the writing, the best new at the time, best continuing, and I. Yes, it's good, but it's not that good, people. There's other things that are just as good, if not better. Mm-hmm. Uh, best penciler inker went to Sean Murphy for The Wake. He won over uh, Nate Bellegarde, Nick Dragata, Nate Powell, Emma Rios, and Thomas Yates. And I I like the work on The Wake, but, man, Emma Rios was just ridiculously good on Pretty Deadly. Mm-hmm. I agree. Best cover artist went to David Aja for Hawkeye. And as great as the Hawkeye covers were, how does Mike Del Mundo not win for those X-Men Legacy covers? Once again, I agree. And uh, also nominated Sean Murphy, Jordi Belair, Emma Rios, Chris Samini, Fiona Staples. All very deserving, but Mike Del Mundo, was, that was some next level work. I agree. Uh, best coloring went to Jordi Belair for everything. everything. <laughs> uh, best lettering went to Darwin Cook for Richard Stark's Parker Slayground. 
And you know what's course, funny? I'm just, I'm just kind of skimming over a lot of these because just, there's a lot of rewards that went out. To go to the lettering, what's funny is that some people may look at that and think, "Do we are we still in a time where we need a best letterer?" Yes. Section, and it's not until you see bad lettering that you then realize, holy crap, there really is an art form to this. And I can't remember what it was that I was reading recently. It was, and it was, it wasn't from a small, I think it, it might've been an image. Anyways, I'm not positive, but the lettering was so horrific that it takes you out of the story because you're noticing it and you're like, what the hell is going on here? And it wasn't like that quirky on purpose meant to be off kilter because of who's talking or whatever. It was just bad. So that's why as I'm reading these now, I was reading them earlier. I was going, yeah, we still very much need this category. Mm -hmm. And as I said, there's a number of other awards. You can find the full link on the website and the show notes, but uh, that's just a general overview. But I mean, I like a lot of the comics that won. So I, I, I'm i in a weird place where did the ones I want to win win? Not necessarily, but I do enjoy a lot of the winners, so I'm still happy. That's something, that's something I like and something I consider as good other people do as well. Next year, somebody has to nominate us for best comic book-related journalism stuff. Slap us in there. Just right. for shits and giggles. Just, <laughs> that'd be awesome. <laughs> if Comics Alliance can't get nominated anymore, what chance do we have? All right. Well, the way we're handling the news this year is we're not just diving through everything. That it, I, ch- I told Roger, just pick a couple things that most interested him. I would do as well. And we would just cover kind of the high points because, yeah, sometimes it's kind of a slog to get through a lot of these panels. So I figured really if is. we just stick to what we're really into, it, it should be for a much more interesting show. The problem, too, is that as you're reading about it, it's different than actually being there, too. And even mm-hmm. then when you're there, I mean – a lot of the news that you'll pick up on is the buzz as you're talking to people or whatever, not necessarily just the panels. Because a lot of the times these panels, their answers are, you know, so bloody vague that you're not getting that much information. So, No, know. absolutely true. Like, honestly, if I were ever to go to San Diego Comic-Con, I would probably would skip most of the panels. And just go and talk to everybody. Mm-hmm. Well, the first one I picked was uh, from Marvel, their Axis stuff, which is their next big event coming up later this year. Uh, Avengers and X-Men teaming up against a, a super team of their greatest villains. And the panel, it wasn't so much an Axis thing as it was just the Rick Remender special. Yeah. Because <laughs> it started off uh, him talking about, of course, Captain America and bringing Falcon in as the new Captain America. And the thing I really liked about reading this is how much he's grasping just how different the characters are. He like he's actually really excited to write a Captain America that's not as stoic as Steve Rogers. Sam is a little more fluid. He's a little more fun loving. And it, interestingly, he's also more community oriented, whereas Steve always had that set of ideals. Sam might do the things that's better for the people, even if it was would be against what Steve would consider the best thing. So it's that difference between the two characters and the way it's going to be written that has me interested to see what Reminder is going to do with that. I, I agree. Mm-hmm. And then moving into Axis itself, it's basically branching out of what Reminder's writing in both Captain America and Uncanny Avengers. And we've been seeing that a lot. We saw that with Infinity, uh, not so much with Original Sin, but how they're taking the larger ongoing storylines in the monthly comics. And then once they reach a crescendo, 
then they bring in this big mini series event and it just it's a lot more fluid for me i like that approach better than just all of a sudden oh the superheroes are fighting again time for a mini series so i i appreciate that they're trying to grow a lot of these events more organically stuff that we saw with like even spider island and upcoming in spider verse it's growing organically out of the regular stories well it shows you that there's a lot more thought that went into it as well Mm -hmm. we really don't know that much about the axis event itself Uh, One of the interesting things I saw, like kind of the behind the scenes, is that they had originally planned for one of the six main villains to be the Green Goblin. And then they read the end of Superior (laughs) Spider-Man and realized, oh, we can't do that anymore. So they had to insert the Hobgoblin instead. It's just it's those fun things where as well planned out as a lot of these is, sometimes a writer will just do something and everybody has to adapt to it. Mm hmm. But things that I'm really looking forward to with Axis itself is that they're saying uh, Magneto as well as the Loki comic, but I'm not reading the Loki comic. But Magneto is going to have a huge role in it, kind of caught in between, and that this is finally going to be his confrontation with the Red Skull, which first of all, you have the fact that Magneto's Magneto and Red Skull is a Nazi. But aside from that, all the stuff that we've seen Red Skull doing with Charles Xavier's brain. So as a reader and someone who's really loving the Magneto comic, I absolutely can't wait for that to come up. Yeah. And beyond that, they also announced that from Rick Remender uh, and with Jerome Pena and Dean White, basically the old uh, Uncanny X-Force team, are going to be doing an original graphic novel, The Rage of Ultron, which is going to bring Ultron back to the Marvel Universe again, just in time for the movie, of course. But seeing what these guys have done together before and looking at the previews, because freaking Opeña is turning in some fantastic work just in these couple pages I've seen. So I, I really, really want to see that because Marvel's been doing great stuff with their graphic novels as well lately. So all together, I'm really into that one. Yeah. Did you see those previews? No, I didn't, but I did read Ooh, a little man. bit about it. And and it's one of those, again, bringing something back, but looking at who's tackling it. And and I thought about one of the quotes that we'll talk about when I tackle mine, one of mine, where it's not always about, you know, whether somebody's going to come back for the dead. It's the story. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And again, the graphic novels, like you mentioned, we need a lot more of those because those are amazing what they're doing with those. Absolutely. All right. So uh, why don't you go ahead and take one then? Well, we might as well do that one then. Um, they were talking, Sewell was talking about the death of Wolverine and the weapon X program thing and what they're going to be doing with that. And that was one of the quotes there because everybody was saying to him, you know, well, we know that it's just going to, he's just going to come back. And of course they're not, you know, saying that he will because they're it's the same as Dan Slott when he was saying, Peter's gone. <laughs> so no, 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 he's dead. But what he was saying was that it's, um, it's it's about what the story is. Uh, it's it's not about what he was saying. It's, it's not the relevancy of Logan staying dead. It's the story that matters. So he wants to craft a really good story around the death of Logan. So when you read that and knowing that they grasp that concept and that they know that this could be retconned at any point, probably before the miniseries are done, it's still... <laughs> They're going in with the right attitude that it's the story that matters. So I, it's, I wasn't as interested initially because, again, it was just like he just came out of hell. He was dead in hell. So really another dead story. And I haven't been 
digging the whole losing the healing factor as much as I'm guessing everybody else is. I don't know. I haven't been as interested in it myself, but hearing them talk more about um, how the two miniseries are going to interact, the, the Death of Wolverine, the Logan Legacy, and then the Death of Wolverine, the Weapon X program, and how they're going to be spotlighting different test subjects, essentially, for the, the Weapon X thing, and how they're going to play around with that. And there was the hint that a ongoing may be the end result once these miniseries are done. I'm interested. It's going to be it's going to be cool to see what they do with it. Yeah, I, I'm all for them shining a spotlight onto those dark corners of the Weapon X project. Yeah, yeah, because they've been kind of hinting at different things too. They were saying like with the the Weapon X actually being Weapon Ten, with Cap being the first one that was gene- genetically mm-hmm. engineered, and then Wolverine being the tenth. So playing around with that idea a little bit more and seeing what comes of that. Yeah, I think that's you could really have a lot of fun with that. And then just some of the tie-ins. Um, I think it's great that we have a Nightcrawler ongoing series at the time Wolverine dies. Yeah. Because that Wolverine issue when Nightcrawler died was fantastic. So I'm hoping they kind of invert that. And then I think I, I think it was on this panel where they were talking about uh, there's going to be a one-shot miniseries, I don't know, with Deadpool and Captain America kind of eulogizing Logan. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I read that somewhere. Ninety-year-old Steve Rogers. Yeah. (laughs) So that should be pretty fun too. Yeah, it should be. Okay. All right. Well, I was also really cool with the Avengers stuff. And what's interesting is a lot of the stuff they talked about wasn't the core Avengers line. It was a lot of the side stories. Most notably, that Mighty Avengers is getting relaunched with a new number one now as Captain America and the Mighty Avengers, which makes perfect sense because Falcon's already on that team. So if he's going to be Captain America, give it a nice relaunch and remind everybody that Greg Land isn't drawing this comic anymore (laughs) because I've been really enjoying Mighty Avengers. Al Ewing's been doing great stuff with the characters, but the artwork has been... Well, when Greg Land's not on there, the artwork has been good, (laughs) but the vast majority of the artwork has been pretty bad but they're bringing in luke ross as the new ongoing artist and it's going to be cool to see uh sam take that more i guess leadership role kind of stepping into where luke cage has been in the uh, previous iteration do you know how they're actually working that and see i i don't know enough about the why um why falcon is taking over I um, I'm, as Captain America or yeah, as Captain America, and then that leading. story has yet to be told. I yeah, think it's so next how, month. how does it make sense that a, a and and again I'm fine with it. I got no problem with anybody of any nationality being bumped in. It's from a story perspective. I kind of try to wrap my head around the idea of and and I felt the same way when with the whole thing of Bucky taking over. Although mm-hmm. a little less, just because at least he was a psychic, so he took over. So the idea of well, somebody who's already a hero shifting and being another hero for a while and then by virtue of that suddenly assuming a more commanding role than what they had before it's still the same person they're just calling themselves differently so from that story perspective it kind of makes me scratch my head a little bit well at this point sam wilson has more history as captain america's sidekick than bucky barnes did i mean they've been teaming together since the 70s Whereas Bucky was dead for 50 years. Okay, but you know what I mean. Bucky, initially yeah. they were together. That's that's all I mean. And, and yeah. kind of the same thing that I feel, although to a lesser degree, because and maybe it's because I hold 
um, the folk in, in a higher regard than Bucky, who was a psychic. So losing <laughs> Bucky and he gets promoted True. to Cap. Okay, good. But in my mind, I would think, why not just make, let Sam retain his title that he made himself, that he built, he created. Why not make that shine more instead of just saying, well, you know, here's this old white dude's title and cape and, <laughs> well, not cape, but shield. So in that regard, it doesn't, from a story standpoint, it's something that kind of goes, mm, it doesn't really make sense. No, we're, we're in absolute agreement on that point, but still, this is what we have, and I'm still going to be interested to see oh, how I, it plays I, out. I really am, and I, and I like the character a lot. I like who he is, like what you were saying with being more community-minded and things like that. Mm-hmm. And we've seen that in a variety of different settings. And it's like, that's going to bring a whole new dynamic to the character. And so I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing more of him. Cause I've never really hidden the fact that really Steve Rogers is boring as hell. I'm there's been oh, a few. I, I'm perfectly happy to not read Steve Rogers, yeah. Captain America comics for yeah. a while. Yeah. I, I mean, we've read enough of those stories. Yeah. And, and in some cases it's good, but overall, man, it's, it's, hard to work your way through some of these stories whereas i think they're going to be a hell of a lot more interesting with the falcon in instead mm-hmm. and kind of on that same page they were also talking about uh, jason aaron's thor and how he said and as someone who's been reading the ongoing thor i can absolutely see that aaron has been building towards thor you know losing the hammer throughout his entire run because you've seen aspects of the way thor has been acting in the comic that are a bit counter to traditional. And at one point you can see, oh, that's just Jason Aaron's interpretation. But now knowing where it's leading, I can see the different way he was writing that character and that, yeah, there is a point where Thor is going to be unworthy. Now, he said his initial plan, he didn't know who was going to pick up the hammer, but eventually he floated the idea of it being a woman and they ran with that. Cool. Uh, Also, we're getting another... uh, female Thor-themed type comic. Uh, Kieran Gillen and Marguerite Bennett with along with uh, Phil Jimenez and Stephanie Hans are launching an ongoing Angela series with her being Asgard's assassin. Normally, I wouldn't be that crazy about it, but I really like just about everything Kieran Gillen yeah, writes. I was just so, going to say, yeah, it's liable to be quite good. Yeah, uh, on that strength alone, I'm pretty on board with that. And they've said that they have firm plans for an upcoming Doctor Strange comic They absolutely have a writer, and they know when they want to release it. They're just trying to nail down uh, the art side of things, and I'm very happy about that. Oh, please make it good art. Did did you read that New Avengers annual yet? No. I have it, but I haven't read it I really hope that's the direction they're going. Because, man, if if you can get a a solid writer and a really, really good artist who can handle those – the magic aspect and things like that to make it something that's visually appealing – I think we're in a place now where we could really roll with a Doctor Strange comic for a long time. Mm-hmm. I mean, just look at how well the the outer space stuff is doing right now. We yeah. can handle Supernatural in the modern comic market. Yeah, it would be cool. All right, what do you have up for us? Well, let's stick with Greg Land then. He's going to be doing Spider-Woman. <sighs> you know <laughs> it's funny? because this. Oh, man. Well, because I had to complain about something. Um I mean, I've mentioned it before, and I believe you have as well, how we would love to see an ongoing Spider-Woman Absolutely. comic book. Would love to. Jessica's got such 
an amazing, amazing backstory. And it, and it'd be great to see her because of like all the cameos we're seeing with her in Avengers and different stuff right now. And like her interactions with Peter are among the best you can get. And so hearing that they're doing finally an ongoing was like, yay, hopeless is writing. Okay. <laughs> Greg <laughs> Landart. No. <laughs> So, yeah, so that's going to take over. It's going to start during Spider-Verse. And she is actually going to have a very, very big hand in Spider-Verse, apparently, according to Slot and Hopeless. She's going to have a, a very important role. She's actually going to be in charge of keeping Silk safe. And for those who haven't been keeping up with Amazing Spider-Man, Silk is the other person that was bitten by a radioactive spider that nobody heard about until now and now she's out and free and and really angry <laughs> with peter <laughs> that was freaking hilarious that issue but because she's been kept away from people for so long she's not like the regular socially well-adjusted not that peter is either but you know he's better <laughs> than she is and so the way that they're talking about her she's that the quote was straight out of the box infectious enthusiasm for superheroing and so that's kind of gonna grate against spider woman jessica because she has to keep her safe during all of this mayhem and the talk that they 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 did in terms of even just the first few issues because hopeless understands that it's very difficult to launch an ongoing series on the springboard of an an event a big event and this is going to be happening the first few issues at the during spider-verse and then he needs to make it so that the story is engaging enough, not just to draw people in who are enjoying Spider-Verse, but also people who don't care about Spider-Verse, but just want to read the Spider-Woman comic book. So it has to stand on its own. And reading what he has planned for the first few issues about the traveling through alternate dimensions with Silk and then going behind enemy lines kind of spy stuff for the second it really really sounds like awesome if it wasn't for land if it wasn't for greg land this would be at the top of my list of holy crap i cannot wait for this series did he mention the part of the story where she gets both of her legs blown off no what are you looking at that cover no i'm not actually (laughs) click on the link and look at that cover real quick okay hold on you sent me a link the the link in the show notes. Oh, the one that I put there. Yeah. You're assuming that I paid attention here when I put show notes up. Okay, which... Oh, the are you just making a crack because of the legs? That you, yeah, oh, that's... Yeah. I know, I know, I know. You don't have to... I know. See, this is what bothers me. Like, all right, Greg Land comics sell, and that's really all that matters. An editor had to approve that cover. Had to say, yeah, that's good. Moving on. Definitely. All right. What did I have next? Star Wars. Yes. We all knew this was coming, that when Disney bought the Star Wars license, eventually Marvel would take over publishing the Star Wars comics. I am of very mixed opinions of this because, first of all, we have three uh, comics coming out, one ongoing, two minis. First, we have Star Wars, uh, written by Jason Aaron, art by John Cassidy. We have Darth Vader from Kieran Gillen and Salvador LaRocca. 
and Princess Leia from Mark Wade and Terry Dodson. First of all, can you imagine the bloodbath that the writers and artists were pitching for these series? No kidding. Oh my well, god! There, there must have been won. knife fights and death matches yeah. going out of this one. But see, I'm. I I knew it was going to happen, of course, mm-hmm. after the the purchase. But it was like it was doing fine where it was. Yes. And now it's just taking these people away from their own IPs to stick their nose into Star Wars, and I'm quite certain they're being pushed by by Disney to do a lot of Star Wars and it it feels like there was a lot of Star Wars chat during this comic con. Mm-hmm. And the the thing that really bugs me about this is all three of them are basically taking place at the same point in time after episode 4, after the destruction of the first Death Star but before uh, Empire Strikes Back. And this is the same issue I had when Dark Horse recently relaunched their primary Star Wars title that it was taking place between the movies. And while there might be some interesting stories to tell there, and there actually are, they're talking about, you know, how Vader has to reclaim his place in the Empire after the defeat of the Death Star, you know, Leia having to come to grips with being a princess without a planet. So there are interesting stories to tell, but how much is interest is there when we already know the endpoint? Yeah. Like the best part about the Dark Horse comics was all the stuff they did outside the realm of the movies. And I hope Marvel gets there at some point. But then again, I mean, just given the creative teams, I'm really going to read these. Yeah. All right. What's next from you? Uh, let's go with the layman stuff. So okay. layman has taken over Cyclops from uh, Greg Rucka. Did you know that? I didn't know he was taking over, but I always assumed Rooka was only going to be part-time on that one. Really? He he doesn't do mainstream Long comics times, anymore. Yeah. So I, I knew as soon as he signed on, he was going to write some really good issues and then go away pretty quick. Yeah. So Just like Warren Ellis. Well, Lehman's editors from when he was doing Batman at DC moved to Marvel. And so when they started on this, he was hoping they'd call him. He said, and they did. So he's going to be taking over from this. I like... I like his enthusiasm for it Mm -hmm. and the ideas that he has. I mean, the thing is, is that, and I think he grasps it, that you have two, two themes going on with that series. The one, of course, being the father and son getting to know each other because they never had that opportunity. And then, which is obviously quite a serious plot point. And then the other one is the silly space pirates stuff. And the whole, like he calls it, space opera thing. And so he has these ideas of, you know, getting a ship that has more of a personality, like the Millennium Falcon and Serenity and things like that. And he wants to have fun with the idea of, again, pirates in space, which is the story arc he's going to be doing. Actually sounds interesting, where everybody's booted off the ship except for Scott, because he's the new guy and the pirates don't recognize him, so they quote-unquote hire him to stay on and he infiltrates them to try to get the ship back so i like i like the ideas and i like that he understands again that the the fine balance of the father and son get to know each other and silly guardians of the galaxy crossover stuff potentially and all that yeah that's anybody who would say that rocket raccoon is the new wolverine you got to have a little bit of respect and say okay where are you going with this i need to see (laughs) ask that question again next week Okay, what do you mean? The movie comes out this week. Yes, yes, I know. Okay. 
but yeah, the next Wolverine's kind of pushing it. I'll give you that much. <laughs> but no, it, it does sound pretty interesting. Yeah. All right. And then the last one I have is that the greatest Star Trek movie ever is getting a comic book adaptation. From IDW, uh, written by Eric Burnham, who's been doing a lot of stuff on the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles franchise. A direct sequel to the movie, Galaxy Quest. Meh. You don't like Galaxy Quest? Maybe it's because of, again, the, 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 the over 10 years between us kind of thing. Because I saw Galaxy Quest with the kids. It was one of the shows that we rented for the kids to watch. And it really... It wasn't even one that we watched over and over and over again with them. It was just, we got it, we watched it with them, and it was like, okay, well, that was fine. So it was never a thing for us at all. Man, Galaxy Quest is one of those movies where I will stop what I'm doing for the afternoon if it turns up on TV. Right. I just, I love the movie. And given what we've seen out of Burnham's writing with the Ninja Turtles... It could be pretty darn fun. Oh, but yeah. Also, also uh, Burnham is teaming up with Tom Waltz, another one of the Ninja Turtles writers, to do a miniseries that's just a straight Ninja Turtles Ghostbusters crossover. Okay. Yeah. I'm in. Yeah. As much fun as we had with uh, the, the X Files crossover, one. that didn't cross over those two series per se, but gave us a look at what they could have in common and share. Yeah. Yeah. It could be a lot of fun. All right, and that's the last one I have. So what? The only other one that I had, which is very, very small, uh, it was an interview with uh, Bendis where he was promoting the book that he's putting out, uh, Words for Pictures, a book on writing comics specifically. What I liked was how he was discussing the importance of, you know, contracts and different things like that, the business aspect of writing for comics and not just the, you know, um, he called it, you know, most creators are, are had that stunted growth where they're still big kids, but they, you have to be an adult about these things. And so that business side of it, of making sure that you have contracts, regardless of who you work with and all kinds of stuff like that. I, I think that more people getting into that business will really need to be reading something like that. Yeah, there's so many great creators that have their careers, don't, don't even get off the the, the the landing pad because of business side issues. Yeah. And then he also, of course, talked about the X-Men because I, and I didn't even hear about this. There was a big rumor mill going around. Oh, that's about been the going X-Men. around for months. I didn't even it's hear hilarious. It, that the X-Men are going to be canceled. So he was saying like, why would they have brought me in to, to work on this somebody, and plan everything out? Somebody even asked that at one of the panels. Yeah, I've and read that. I think it was Tom Brevoort's response was, yeah, we hate the X-Men so much. We put that hack Brian Bendis on two of yeah. the comics. <laughs> so that's it that I have. All right. But overall, you know, they, it wasn't a whole bunch of big, holy crap moments. But there was definitely a feeling, especially amongst, you know, the Marvel stuff, that they're really taking the writing side of things seriously. It's not so much the big headline grabbing events which we definitely have seen plenty of but the way that the stories are growing organically and how the characters and the writers are really coming first in addition to having some really fun stuff from other companies like we didn't even talk about it but image announced a whole bunch of really great stuff that's gonna be coming out next year oh i thought you were still going to talk about some of these other ones no i just put that in there for your reference oh it's oh crap I went out Why, looking for my own stuff because I look on? at the show notes and it's like, what the hell am I supposed to put in? He's putting everything in. <laughs> I told you I was just going to paste everything in there and take what you want. <laughs> All right, fine. Well, damn, I would have talked about Spider-Verse at least a little bit more. 
Uh, you can talk awesome. about Spider-Verse and we'll skip what we're reading this week if you want. Well, actually, we're already over a half hour. We should probably skip both. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Roger. Save it for next week. Then. There you go. <laughs> but yeah, Spider-Verse is looking pretty freaking cool. It, it is. It's Again, they're, they're holding a lot close to the chest, as Dan Slott always does. But even just the few little hints and things like that and, and the whole thing about uh, auto as well, which is obviously going to come back and bite somebody in the ass. I Everything I'm hearing has got me fairly excited about this event. I mean, the other events, of course, you're always looking forward to the Spider-Man ones. And um, and this one, though, there's there's something about it. It's like, I really cannot wait to devour every single thing about this every tie in everything there i know they're not all going to be good but damn it just sounds so freaking awesome dan slot said it best and i don't think it was at comic-con just at some point when he was doing the uh press for this every version of spider-man in here is somebody's favorite version yeah. of spider-man and he's taking that seriously yeah i this is gonna be awesome all right, well then, jumping into this week's new releases, Marvel is making up for their small output last week because this week we have all new Ghost Rider number five, Avengers number 33, Cyclops number three, Guardians of the Galaxy number 17. Finally, after the long wait, we have Hawkeye number 19, next year's Eisner winner for best single issue. <laughs> We have New Avengers number 21, Uncanny Avengers number 22, and Uncanny X-Men number 24. From Image, we have East of West number 14, Low number 1, the new comic from uh, Rick Remender and Greg Tacchini. That sounds pretty interesting. And Manhattan Projects number 22. And then from IDW, we have Samurai Jack number 10 and Transformers Robots in Disguise number 31. So that's going to wrap us up. That's going to wrap it up for us here on our San Diego Comic-Con edition of Comic Book Informer. You can find links to everything we talked about today in the show notes at comicbookinformer.com. And as always, you can reach us on Twitter at CB Informer. So until next week, thanks for listening. Yeah.